This episode of Paratopia is dedicated to crop circle research pioneer Pat Delgado. Rest in peace, Pat, and thank you. In a new age world filled with delusions and wish fulfillment by morons in need of attention, renowned experiencers of high strangeness and podcasters Jeffrey Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney received invitations to a tropical paradise getaway called Paratopia. Little did they know, it was the same type of New Age spiritual retreat they've been avoiding all their lives. Don't be shy. Crop circles are all about love. Even the ones made by Team Satan. Come on, you can shake it. Yeah. Man, those hedgehogs running in a circle sure know their Mayan geometry. Anything goes in Paratopia. <laughs> and welcome. Jeff, we're only three episodes into season two of Paratopia, and we're just getting better and better, and I didn't think that was possible, frankly. I thought <laughs> I thought we well, might have we might have peaked somewhere around season one, but but no, in fact we came out strong with Graham Hancock, then we had a little fun with uh the Ghosts of Gettysburg tour, and now we're talking to the one the only Colin Andrews. That's right. And I should apologize in advance in case we don't get this worked out. There was some sort of humming noise that was on the phone that um, I have tried to take out six ways from Sunday, and I can't seem to take it out without affecting the quality of our vocals. And then when I finesse those, the sound comes right back. So it's as if I never took the sound <laughs> out at all. So Jeff will try to fiddle with it a little bit, and if not, then you'll just have to let your ears get used to it, um, and as you will find out during the episode, it was a night of strange electronic stuff and energy in the Holy air. Holy crap. Uh, yeah, yes. this is arguably the best episode of Peritopia, at least. You will ever hear. Yeah, we might have peaked right now. This might be it, yeah. Yeah, I think this is it. Well, I mean, everybody knows Colin Andrews is the crop circle guy. He is the man who coined the, the whole term crop circle. So uh, we have been trying to get him on since, I believe, August. And he has just been mad busy. Uh, he did the X conference, which we uh, – well, well, I missed, but Jeremy and, uh, and everyone else saw. But I got the DVD uh, and watched that. And I was completely smoked and blown away by his presentation there and immediately said, we've got to get him on the show. We've got to talk to this man. And after he got done uh, all of his busy stuff, he uh, was able to come on. And we talked to him last night. And uh, I'm still, to be honest with you, um, slack-jawed at the whole discussion. Uh, it is, it, like Jeremy said, it's, it, to me, it is the best show we've ever done. And that doesn't mean to marginalize any of our other guests. I think they've all been great. But Colin is uh, somebody who's been in this Ever since I can remember, you know, being interested in ufology and all that, he's he's the guy you've always seen in every serious, uh, you know, discussion of the crop circle phenomena. And uh, 
you know, and he's got a lot to say and, and, a, and a lot of stuff that you might be rather surprised at considering well, that's what Jeremy it. said, which was most people dismiss crop circles and, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's just it. You, you, you take something like crop circles and you go, eh, that's either man-made or, as he said, um, you know, maybe some of the smaller ones were real, the little just circles. But all of the other stuff is, is man-made. And it turns out that that doesn't even matter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not that it's even true. It's not true. But right. it doesn't even matter. Uh, it's still the phenomenon. And the phenomena, phenomenon is the phenomenon. Uh, and it is something enigmatic. Um, and it is as deeply complicated as uh, we have been arguing the UFO situation is. Uh, yes. and, and by that I mean it's not a nuts and bolts here, there, uh, right, wrong, hoax, not hoax situation. It's it's a tapestry of consciousness working itself out in myriad ways, a la George Hansen. A la I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it, it, again, it's it's back to the same old thing of more complex and far more bizarre than you would imagine it to be. I mean, far more bizarre than you could imagine it to be, which is uh, part of, you know, what we talked to him about. And, and you'll, I hope that it really, I really hope that the discussion translates to listeners that you actually feel something while this is going on. We sure <laughs> and I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah. yeah. Before we get to this though, I want to, uh, I want to give Colin uh, his plugs here for, uh, his latest two books, Government Circles and The Complete Idiot's Guide to 2012. The first one is available from his website, which is www.colinandrews.net. And anyone who's interested in the crop circle debate and, uh, and all of this history will like to know that his first book ever written on the subject, which he co-authored with the man we're dedicating tonight's episode to, which is Pat Delgado, called Circular Evidence, which is now long since out of print, can be downloaded as an ebook directly from Colin's website, and uh, and I, I would encourage everybody to do both of those, to read both of those. And um, uh, government circles, which was predominantly, I think, what he focused on at the X conference, which was calling uh, people like Nick Pope to task on uh, the government's position over there in the UK on crop circles. So, uh, the complete idiot's guide to 2012. I haven't read. I haven't. Uh, I haven't got a chance to go through that yet, but. Uh, Colin did the, say got at the, the idiot end. part down. I know that. Well, well, yeah, you've got, I've got the idiot parts <laughs> squarely in my corner. Uh, but the uh, uh, the complete idiot, I might add. Uh, <laughs> but one of the things that that Colin said about uh, 2012 at the X conference was that everyone is doom and gloom. Everyone is polar ice cap. You know, f- flying all over the planet. Next ice age, earthquakes, fire from the sky. Dogs and cats living together. John Cusack running a limousine through a burning building to get away from <laughs> right. other burning buildings. Right. And one of the things Colin says that does somewhat apply to what he's going to talk about with us tonight, which is if that's the way that everyone on this planet thinks about 2012, then that is indeed what might happen. So at any rate, uh, you can go to colinandrews.net and check out all of his DVDs, books, and, and whatnot. But the, those, those three he wanted me to, uh, to mention, especially the ebook of Circular Evidence, which you cannot get anywhere else. Colin Andrews. Well, Colin, uh, thanks for coming on Paratopia tonight with us. Uh, That's been, my pleasure. 
we've been dying to have you on for a very long time, and and you're a very busy man, and I appreciate the time you're taking with us. Uh, sure. And I, I did before we even get started with questions. I wanted to uh, send my condolence to you uh, on the loss of your friend Pat Delgado. Yes. Um, no, thank you. And, thank and you this much. this episode of Paratopia is, is dedicated to uh, Mr. Delgado and all the work that he did with you. So. This is a question I'm sure you get asked about a million times every interview that you do, but uh, how did you first get involved in doing any kind of crop circle research at all? Because this was a, this was a, a new wrinkle in the field uh, many years ago, and you were the first man I ever saw associated with it routinely. Right. Well, uh, I was uh, really kind of um, – it was a regular day uh, in July 1983 – as a, a senior official at that time in uh, regional government in central southern England, about, um, I guess, about 40 miles from Stonehenge, I was driving to a, a meeting, a regular meeting, on the high ground, and um, I just really uh, casually happened to look to my left down into a wheat field, which was in a valley below the level that my, the highway was on, and uh, I saw a set of five circles forming a cross, and... Uh, that really was uh, the beginning. I, I had not heard of them before, um, seen anything about them in the media or anything else. And uh, I, uh, you know, I, I stopped my vehicle and um, I, I had a look at um, from from this hill down into the wheat field. I couldn't see any tracks there, and uh, of course, immediately started to um, ask questions of myself. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. how did these get there? And uh, I walked down into the right down this very steep embankment. It took me probably 20 minutes, actually, to get into the field, and uh, being late for my meeting, of course. (laughs) And uh, as I made my way out into the field, I was then, of course, on flat ground, level ground, and it was more difficult to actually see where where these circles were until I I came, came across the very first one. And I walked into the first one, which was about 12 feet in diameter, flattened to the ground, swirled around, um, and again, I, I, I can tell you now, and uh, you know, as I have said many times uh, since, that whatever we see and hear about the circles in the media, and for the last nearly 30 years now, uh, I can assure you that uh, that first one for me in July '83 uh, had no tracks to it whatsoever. The only track was my own. Um, I stood there uh, in, a, in, a, in amazement. At what I was looking at, and uh, I could hear. Um, I've always, you know, can always re- remember this very clearly. That hearing a kind of popping uh, sound, kind of a click, 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 click kind of sound, and uh, I stood there and watched what was causing this. And it, it was really that the, the heads of the plants, which had um, been flat to the ground and were flat to the ground, were separating and kind of lifting back up. That as they separated, they would click from leaving contact with the one uh, plant adjacent to it. Mm. And this was happening right across the profile of the circle. So this gave me the immediate impression that uh, this had only just happened, or certainly at a, a short time before. So that, that was really it, Jeff. That was the wow. very beginning. And uh, the evening of that day, I was in a privileged position. Uh, I was a major civil emergency a planning officer for uh, Test Valley, which is the central southern England area, and uh, you know I had, I had access, um, easy access to the military and to the police and uh, other departments, 
and uh, I started making inquiries and soon realized that uh, this was not new. Uh, farmers in that area, indeed farmers of that field, uh, knew these circles going back many years. So that was the beginning. Wow. Well, I mean, I think what a lot of people have heard, at least, um, you know, at least way back when stateside, we heard a lot of accounts talking about no tracks in or out, just like you were saying about your first encounter with these things. Uh, blown out nodes of the stalks of whatever plant that, that you know happened in what was rye or rape field or whatever. Uh, a weaved lay down pattern underneath and it swirled one way on top, another way underneath. Um, all sorts of really weird things that didn't necessarily point to these being man-made. As your own research progressed in this, as the years went by, more and more became man-made. This kind of facilitated man-made ones popping up here and there. Yeah. But those initial ones that that held these very distinct characteristics, do they still occur these days? And if they do, in what frequency do you find that they occur still? It's a great question. I don't very often uh, get asked that, but it, it's a very important question uh, because... Um, uh, one question really off the back of the other is, uh, if they're still appearing, why don't we hear so much about them? And uh, as you have rightly put it, uh, you know, uh, what, what are the numbers if they are? Well, uh, as far as I know, and, uh, you know, I, I still head back to England and indeed travel to other parts of the world where these um, circles are reported, I would say this, that uh, the numbers that are researched um, are less of the original kind of uh, simple circle with the features that you have described plus some more that we maybe get to in the program. Uh, they are less and I think the reason for that um, is that the more complex patterns uh, speak to um, perhaps communication but complexity and beauty attracts uh, the um, researchers, attracts the public and research uh, and attracts the pilots are fl flying over that area that particularly that a very hot area uh, of central southern england i don't mean hot as in temperature but uh, right. you know it, it's an area where a, a lot of this activity occurs and so the the simple circles uh, i've been in aircraft with pilots that will tend to go over them and say well do you want this one well yes we want all of them i mean it, it's important to record uh, everything that's there uh, hoaxing as well. It's important to get it all. Uh, so the, I think the answer is, Jeff, that um, yes, they are, they, as far as I can see, because I have, you know, each year have, have seen some and researched some of the simple ones, but we're not zigzagging those aircraft in grid patterns that we used to across the whole of that area. So uh, there are many, I'm sure, that are missed, whereas initially in those early days in the um, mid-80s and uh, early 90s, uh, it, it, was it was relatively new, um, and it was new-ish to a lot of the farmers, not some, because they'd had them for many years, but this, as this phenomenon was exploding outwards, um, it was new to many, many farmers, and they were reporting them because they were, in many cases, excited to find them and would report them to Pat and myself and Busty Taylor and Terence Meaden uh, initially. But that excitement has faded somewhat as the years have passed. Uh, in fact, it has turned in some cases to um, uh, anger um, that the farmers have had enough 
Um, so the, the, the whole scene has shifted. Uh, but the answer, the brief answer, that is actually a long answer. But the brief, the brief answer is yes, I'm sure they're there. In most countries, they're still there, but uh, they're not reported in those numbers, um, and so therefore we see less of them as far as it comes to the media. Mm. In the sense of of the genuine unknowns that are that are that have been cataloged uh, by you, I always go back to that that classic one that we first saw that was the really really elongated one. Uh, later appeared on uh, a Led Zeppelin album cover. I mean, this oh, yeah. is probably one of the more famous ones. Was that one in and of itself considered an unknown, or was that traced back to being man-made? It was never traced back to being man-made. Uh, it, it never has been. There, there are complex designs. I'm sure we'll get to this in, in our discussion. Uh, but it, it is not true to say that, and you have not said this, but many do, that the simple circles are real unknowns and the complex ones are not. Uh, it's not a true statement. Uh, there are many very complex designs that we simply uh, cannot account for. You know, we, we cannot say with any real level of confidence these are made by people, although many are. And, and, and as I say, we'll, we'll probably get to that. But the uh, Zeppelin design, uh, which I believe I was certainly one of the one of the first dozen or so people into, um, a, a German television crew, um, ARD uh, Germany, uh, were flying in central southern England the day that appeared and were the first to come across it, um, upon it, before the farmer himself was aware uh, that it was in his field. Uh, so the design uh, certainly, once and for all, stamped crop circles into the media. The farmer of that field uh, became quite famous himself. The, the Carsons uh, became quite famous uh, themselves because of that design and then many that followed. So yes, the time that we spent in it, in looking at the symmetry, the kind of um, uh, swirl patterning, uh, the analysis that was conducted there uh, had all the hallmarks of the real thing. And with always leaving a door open that humans are clever beasts and can deceive and sure. do deceive, always ready for the phone to call and say, well, this one we did. Um, so that's always left as, as an open door for anything that I'll say today. Uh, but as far as I know, and that, and that was 1990, the pattern you are referring to, uh, that's an, as clean and green as they come. Wow. Was there ever any uh, assemblage of what that may have meant? Was there any symbols in there? I, I know I read somewhere on the net some time ago that uh, a gentleman had connected that somehow to weather symbols that were integrated into that circle. Was that true, false? Have you not heard of that? Is that? Oh yes, yes, I've certainly heard of it. Ed Sherwood uh, is the person that put that uh, forward, and uh, he's right that if you look at the uh, meteorological symbols, international symbols, uh, the, many of those arms uh, and, and features that come off of the circles and the, the central axis uh, are w related to wind, uh, rain, and weather phenomena uh, used by the Met Office, uh, Met offices around the world. Uh, but having said that, as individual components, they are weather symbols. 
but as far as reading from one end to the other, like you would going through from A to Z, right. um, there's not a cohesive message. You could say that it's a design which shows weather symbols, but not in a cohesive kind of informative way. So I, so I think the fact that it wasn't supported, followed up, um, by any more than an, a further two that would lead you to believe that this was the first teaching, well, you might say, um, in, uh, in informing and teaching us about meteorology and perhaps the world, the planet's climate. Uh, it didn't take that route. I mean, we have many um, designs, many family of designs, as I uh, refer to them, you know, of astronomy, uh, astrology, um, meteorology, there are others that uh, form mathematical equations. So there are many patterns that mean many things. But that one, we had two others within 24 hours that were extremely similar. If you looked at them quickly, you would say they were identical, but actually they weren't. Uh, they, but they were very similar. Within uh, a mile of that design, an Eastfield and Alton Barnes Wiltshire, uh, two more appeared. But that was the end. It suddenly scuttled off. It was like, um, as I, again, I often say, it's like a water droplet under a microscope freezing into uh, a snowflake. And the complexity then just burst out, not only in England, um, but around the, the, the world uh, into many other intricate um, and other suggested uh, meanings. Well, I think that uh, that formation in particular is going to kind of lead into our discussion later about where you've come with this. But uh, I have to ask, in, in one of your lectures that I recently attended not too terribly long ago, uh, you were talking about you and Pat in the field investigating a formation of some sort. And Pat was pulled into the center of this thing. And, yeah. uh, and that it was basically, as you said, all you could do to pull backwards on him to pull him out of the center of this thing. And, and, it, and I, I think you had mentioned that it genuinely scared him uh, oh, yeah. that this happened. And I immediately, uh, when I heard that, I, I drew the line to you know what people call fairy rings and, and the things that uh, people like Jacques Vallée talked about as far as... Uh, you know, people being pulled into rings and uh, the, the correlation with, with myth and all of these kind of things. Do you or have you seen that type of thing often? I mean, do you get reports of that sort of thing often? No, no. I, I, it was certainly one of the most bizarre uh, experiences that either of us had. We have had our share, uh, but that, that stands out as being uh, the most bizarre of them all. And... Um, Actually, this very year and uh, the dedication which you've kindly put on this program uh, for Pat, and I will convey this to his family tomorrow, um, is rather very touching because uh, Pat and I were in discussion about this very experience that you're referring to uh, this year. Uh, earlier this year, um, he and I were going started to look once again at everything that occurred surrounding the Chesfoot Head event, which is the one that you're referring to. I can maybe go through that step by step in a moment because sure. um, it, it is the center of, uh, of a number of things that are happening at the moment. Um, you might or may not be aware that uh, on my website, which is just for anybody listening that wants to come in and have a look in detail what we're discussing here, uh, is colinandrews.net. And uh, in there on the website, you'll see that 
there's a, a section referring to Chesfoot Head. Well, Chesfoot Head is, is a location. In fact, it's uh, the, the location where I saw the first circle in 83 that I, you know, we started the program with. Oh. Uh, opposite that field um, was where this happened. And there were about, I think it was approximately, certainly approximately 10 witnesses to this. Uh, it was the most extraordinary thing where um, a sound showed up from the east. It, we all heard it coming. Uh, it was um, a strange, a very strange sound, which I cannot um, really begin to describe. I've referred to it as like an electronic bird. It was like a bird sound, but it was electronic and metallic. And when it reached us, we were stood in a circle just after midnight. There was a surveillance operation, Operation White Crow, was going on at the time. We'd not had any luck on any of the equipment to record anything of any any kind at all. Uh, that was the whole idea of it. It was ahead of Operation Blackbird, which was the following year, again, a surveillance operation in places where circles appear quite regularly. So we decided to... A walk away from the, um, the equipment and the control room and walk up the hill into a field where there already were two crop circles. They had appeared several days before. And um, we, we went in there. Uh, it, it was, of course, um, dark, just after midnight. Um, we heard this sound coming and uh, we kind of, you know, cl clustered together because it, it, it really got very close to us. And then it started to behave, and I'm saying behave because that's exactly what it was. It, whatever this was knew that we were there because it started to rotate around us. It was like a stereophonic effect of something uh, moving around us, it, almost like herding us. It was kind of zipping around our heads. And then it, it stopped in one particular place, and Pat has always said, that he felt instinctively uh, as if he was being called to it. In his head, he was being told to go to it. And he did leave us. And everybody, is, you'll see this on the net, um, you know, they're, they're, all of the people there confirm this, as indeed I do. I was there too. And he, he walked away to this sound. And uh, um, he began kind of a scooping effect with one hand cupped. Uh, and, and beckoning me to come over to him, to the sound, and he was back, he was, as I got to him, and he, he was kind of cupping his hands across the heads of the plants, and kind of pushing, it's hard to just explain this to you, uh, towards my stomach, to my solar plexus, as if he was kind of working on me in some energetic fashion, but I had no idea what it was he was doing, and um, he kind of gestured that, that, that he had done what he felt he was being told to do. And I turned and walked back to the group, expecting Pat to come with me. The sound was still there, but it had moved back a few feet. And um, I looked at him, and, you know, our eyes, uh, to say this, I think it's important to say this, that the longer you stay in darkness, and we all know this, of course, in your bedroom or anywhere else, your eyes do adjust as much as they can, and you can begin to see form shadowy outlines of one another, people, and 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 so on, and I could see Pat, and we all could, we could all see him there, even though it was a dark field with no street lighting or anything, and he looked terrified. He was, he, his arms were out, straight towards me, and I could see he was in some kind of difficulty, and I went across to him, uh, the others stayed where they were, 
and Pat was at that point leaning backwards where he should have fallen. He was back, I, 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 I don't know, 30, 30 degrees or something like that. Huh. But he was, he was not falling. And he, his arms were out. It was like, just like, help me, help me. And I held both of his hands and it started to pull me too. And we, we both were going backwards into the plants out of the circle. And I gave one extra tug and it was just like, well, pulling him away from a, from an energy field of some sort. We both suddenly jolted back to our feet and, uh, we got out of there. We, we all of us left immediately uh, from the confines of that field. But this would lead me. I'm, I'm sorry. This is a, kind of me, me doing a lot of talking here. No, no. Um, but I should just add why it's become very relevant um, is that all of the events that I've described to you, and there are more. With we had a severe temperature drop, which was measured, an, um, a, a, an atmospheric uh, pressure drop the barometrical uh, drop on the equipment we had there for, on the weather station and it was, was being looked after by Dr. Maiden, the head of tornado and research, storm research in, in England and uh, there were many things that happened all within a few minutes uh, during those events that were extremely strange that have never been accounted for. Um, this was written up in a report and sent to the Queen and to Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, the Chief Scientific Advisor Fisk to Margaret Thatcher, then the Prime Minister, and um, I received personal correspondence back, and I'm not allowed, uh, unfortunately, to say who, because uh, I actually posted this correspondence with a lot of other government material um, on my website uh, a few months ago now, and received instructions uh, from Great Britain um, to remove it immediately, related to Chesterhead and this event. That's oh. as much as I can say. Uh, I was instructed to remove it, or else legal proceedings of a, a very severe kind would, would, would take place. Um, it was to be removed from my presentations, which was the X conference in Washington, D.C., this year, uh, which was removed from that. And, and I will end this, this piece by saying, and, and please don't read me wrong here, I'm, I'm not making this a conspiracy when there may not be one, but, but, but to say that Pat uh, started a new research on this before um, I flew over uh, this summer um, to join Pat Delgado because we, he had recorded the same sound, 5.2 kilohertz in audible, uh, the audible frequency, from the trees. That is a, 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 a sound which was recorded with electronic equipment from the trees that are adjacent to that field at Chesfoot Head. We then, he and I, asked Paul Vigay, a close friend and researcher of ours, to join us in July this year uh, to progress this research again, uh, hopefully come to some kind of understanding as to what happened. And then, of course, as we may, you may know, is um, Pat unfortunately contracted cancer and died. And uh, I then had an email. I was expecting some analysis back from Paul Vigay, who had originally carried out the analysis of that sound, which was recorded at Chesford Head. And I had an email expecting his analysis, because he was joining me also in July, to say that his body had been washed up in the English Channel um, and um, unfortunately, uh, Paul also um, 
passed. And so therefore in July, when I got there uh, to try and move this forward a little bit with the sound and the event that you have raised, mm-hmm. um, both of my colleagues had passed. And so uh, it's, it has really kind of tended to bring this somewhat again into focus. Right. Has there, has there been any, I was going to ask about Paul, has there been any uh, outcome of investigation you can tell us about as to what the hell happened? Well, uh, this, is, this, this really is a very, very delicate area. I, yes, I, 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 I have received emails um, uh, from a close friends and a family member of Paul actually in the last um, two days. Uh, this last week I've had several, but the last uh, two days ago um, stated that the inquest, uh, which the police and the authorities over there have been working on since Paul um, went missing and then his body was found, um, initially they were suggesting that Paul had committed suicide as a result of a domestic uh, situation. Um, And therefore, it is, of course, difficult because this is extremely painful for his family still. And um, what has happened now is that the inquest was due, the results of the police investigation were due to have um, been announced in public and made public uh, last week. Uh, Unfortunately, um, it uh, appears that the family are very unhappy with the results uh, of this uh, inquest and that I, I, you know, I am as concerned as anybody else because I knew Paul well, liked him a lot, um, and there's something here that doesn't seem to tally, but again, I don't, I really don't want to raise um, kind of more suspicion than is there uh, because the indications were really quite strongly uh, that Paul um, committed suicide, but this, there are details that can, I think, be spoken about that don't tally. That you know he had uh, put back through his, the letterbox of his home, uh, which is something that tends to be very much, you know, really happens in Europe. Here we have letterboxes, you know, that the mailman puts the mail in. Uh, over right. there, they don't. They have a, like a slot in their in their front door, and the mail goes through that onto the. The, the floor inside your house and um, it, it, what it, it is reported or I, I, I guess I should have to say it is alleged that um, he pushed his house keys, his door keys, his ignition keys back through the letterbox into his home with um, the passwords of his computers and um, those passwords that were pushed back through the door uh, did not, were not correct. They did not operate uh, any of his computers. And so it's raising questions, well, why would he do that um, if indeed this was a suicide? So uh, that really is as much as I think I can can say about it. It's a a tragic, tragic loss. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, on to a completely different matter. One of the things that I brought up on this show a lot uh, and I guess I should tell you that the majority of what we talk about on here has been the UFO phenomena. 
Yeah. Uh, you are our, our first crop circle uh, investigator to come on, and so I'm glad we got the king of the crop circles to come on first. Well, uh, thank you very to, much. To talk, to talk about <laughs> this. But uh, one of the things I've often said about the UFO phenomena is that I don't relegate it to a nuts and bolts uh, style of, of a phenomena. It's, it seems to react in turn to uh, thought, to intent, to focus upon it. Uh, I've taken to the phrase, you know, the more you give, the more you're going to get. Yeah. Uh, that sort of thing. And oh, yeah. when I heard you speak at the X conference uh, this past time, I was my jaw was hanging in the air because essentially, you know, to kind of take a step back from it, we heard so much about crop circles in the States initially when they started. And then I remember the point where you said, you know, the majority of these seem to be man-made. And then all of a sudden it's like the attention seemed to just drop away from them. No one paid them any mind whatsoever in a major way. Yeah. Uh, but you have found something with – not only the unknown crop circles, but also the ones that crop artists are making, including Doug and Dave, who were, you know, th these were the, the two guys who were the first to say that they hoaxed these to fool people. I want you to kind of lay out for the audience what you found that crop circle makers have told you and where you've gone with this, because this is, um, you know, th this has been kind of a, almost a staple of what I've been saying for a pretty long time about all of this paranormal stuff. Yeah, well, I think you you said it very well, and uh, uh, that's where it, I have finished up uh, it precisely where you laid it out for the UFO. It's all the same thing. Uh, the I think ultimately it will lead us to a better understanding of human consciousness. Uh, that is, when we look at all levels of the UFO phenomenon uh, and the crop circle and perhaps many more other fringe and associated phenomenon, um, what, I guess where, why uh, and how I have finished up uh, with this kind of conclusion is by um, very belatedly, uh, and that's not speaking very highly of myself, but very belatedly being prepared to listen um, without malice to people making crop circles and it might sound a strange place to start with this but it really is what led me um, with my own personal experiences uh, to listen to people making them who are then describing to me the same strange phenomenon they were having where, that allowed me to widen this out and to realistically look at the whole thing. And so what I really began to see and then find and then prove was that interaction is indeed what this is all about, that we are engaged first initially by something unusual, whether it's a light in the sky as a UFO or a crop circle on the ground in an unusual symmetry which calls to us in, a, in an unusual way. I mean, if, if we were looking at the field and, and, and looking at random haphazard flattened plants, we would say, because our automatic um, assessment would tell us uh, the, the, the mother nature that's inside of us, the animal instinct that is inside of us, that the wind did this. Well, that's nature, and it's nature kind of helping us. But when you look at something precise, symmetrical, that is different, it calls us in a different way. And in that different way, 
we're engaged. And by engaging thought and possibilities, we began to begin to manifest a reality, a, a different reality, a new reality, which is a little bit off the side of Mother Nature as we know her to be, but probably is still to some degree Mother Nature. And so I, I had, maybe to get hone in a little bit on this now, um, I have had my own experiences which I don't have never have expected anybody else to believe. It's the reason, Jeff, that I'm still talking to you now, nearly thirty years after um the the, the circle you know, the five circles that I discovered in eighty three, was because I've had a one or two very unusual experiences that have said to me, Well what what the hell just happened? It's something that just took place right there, knew either what I was thinking what I was praying for, what I was asking for, in a sincere way, not, not a, you know, a throwaway line over a pint of beer, but when right. you're stood in the field and you say, which I did in, in 87, this was in our first book, Circular Evidence, in 89, uh, written by Pat Delgado and myself, and um, I stood there, I, I guess I, I just as well say it, I stood there in the, this ring alone, we had been there with a the whole team earlier, and I don't know why I did this. I, it was just a tranquil, uh, very relaxed setting. Uh, it was sunset. I was late back to get this, this piece of information, which I had forgotten earlier, very close to my home. And uh, I put my hands together. I'm not an over-religious. Actually, I don't go to church. I'm not an over-religious person. I believe there's something out there. I believe in some kind of God. I don't know exactly what that is, but... You know, that's where I basically come from in a nutshell. But I put my hands together, and in my head, I closed my eyes, uh, and I said, please, God, give me a clue as to what's happening here. And, th and, and by that, I meant with this phenomenon, which I'd already been looking at for some years. And immediately, uh, and not that I expected it, I never have gotten anything back when I've prayed before. <laughs> right. But, you know, immediately I got this sound, which was the same sound at Chesfoot Head, where it pulled Pat backwards. The first time it was heard by anybody that I know of, it was the first I ever heard of it, was it immediately, when I prayed for a clue, it immediately started. And it was directional, it was about seven feet in front of my feet, it was down at the base of the plants, I, could, I knew where it was, I couldn't see anything. And it got louder, and it got louder, and the, the air began to move. I could feel the oscillation of the air on the hairs of my face, and it got so loud that I expected as an electrical engineer, the only place I'd heard anything like it was in a laboratory, which was just before high levels of voltage discharge into a bang, and you get the flash of light. And I expected something to manifest. I became afraid. I looked to see where I could run out the field, and as my disposition changed from one of tranquility and requesting to what the hell is this and I'm ready to run, the moment that happened, it stopped. And so I had two, it seemed to me, as a, I hope a rational person, uh, I simply had something when I asked for it, and it stopped as soon as I became fearful. And I shared that information Every day, with people close to me, my family heard it to boredom. Every mm -hmm. day, I would say, my goodness me, that was so important. I know that that was so important. Well, that was interactive. If I take it at face value, it then showed up again a year later. 
at Chesford Head. It showed up on an interview pattern I was doing separately for BBC television and destroyed the television camera. And it was recorded again. We had the sound recorded by BBC and other people, and Paul Vigay did that too with others. And it was the same sound, 5.2 kilohertz, audible frequency, interactive, it taking effect in the environment of the crop circles because that's where we were and interacting with us. Well, as soon as I then, in nine, um, 1999, I was uh, looking at hoaxing because it was becoming a problem that we were aware of and Lawrence Rockefeller funded me for two years to look specifically at that problem. And um, in so doing, I began to talk with people making circles. I should have done it years before, but I, I'll be frank with you. Uh, the people that were making these, as far as I was concerned, were deceivers. They were deceptive. They were people that had cost everybody a lot of money and time. Um, it was just a darn nuisance to everybody concerned. So uh, I wasn't talking with them. Uh, and But when I began to, as a result of this particular project, some of it was undercover, um, I began to hear from these people who I had not liked for what they were doing mm -hmm. the same thing. It was the same stuff. And I, maybe I'll just give you quickly uh, one particular uh, report. Um, this was from a guy... Um, Graham Pritchard uh, nearly left me there. Graham Pritchard, Pritchard was the name. He might be listening to the to to us now. And he, he, here's here's a a man who drew up a design, a flower of life, a quite intricate pattern. He drew this on on his paper. He with his brother, and they planned out how they were going to make it at a place called Barbary Castle. It's quite a famous field now, before crop circles. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is now going back three or four years. And uh, at least that, and decided that they would make this. Well, his brother uh, became ill uh, this particular evening, and it was not made. But in that very field, that very night, the Flower of Life design, exactly the one they planned, did form. And to this day, uh, Graham is a person I am now in quite regular contact with. He's been very helpful, as of no other people making them, who are still a darn nuisance in many ways. But that, you know, the fact that they're giving us information, which broadens the horizons here, and brings this whole thing into a whole different area. You know, it, we are, I think, being taken down a path uh, that demonstrates to us that we are the creators of our own universe and that in interacting with our belief system in a faith-based manner is how we produce the world around us. It will be whatever we wish it, desire it, and action it to be. At the moment, regrettably, we're living at the end of a period of deception and lies at such a level that it's now coming back to bite our towels, and we're losing the anchorage of religion and uh, multinational companies. We know it all. You know, we've all seen it, the economy and all the rest of it, because I don't want to particularly get political about, but we are at the back end of infrastructures which are collapsing uh, because it's what we created. We created it by deception and lies, and here we are. 
And so at the end of a cycle, and hopefully the beginning of another, a new paradigm will give us a new opportunity to build again based upon a different mindset. So that's really all come out of the crop circles wow. and the UFO. And I agree with you absolutely wholeheartedly that uh, the UFO subject and the crop circle phenomenon are very closely associated. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, uh, we're about halfway through, I think, at this point. So I'm going to turn it over to Jeremy. But i got a couple more for you that I want to hit you with uh, after he's done. So, Jeremy, find sure. away there. Sure. Hi, Jeremy. Uh, hello. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, first I want to say uh, I had completely dismissed crop circles over the years. Of course, when I was younger, I really wanted to believe in them. And then I just thought yeah. the evidence was such that, that there was no evidence. Um, and then I saw your presentation at the X conference, and that immediately made me do, yet again, a 180. And now, you know, I don't even want to say I'm a believer. I just think that what you present is so shockingly real that, that it is real. And so yeah, that's where it, I am with it now. And, um, you know, as you're talking about sound, it's interesting. We had a guest, uh, Teoxin Ghost Horse, uh, who's a Lakota gentleman, who um, says that corn uh, and, and I assume other crops um, emit a sound and that a lot of the Lakota songs and a lot of, well, Native American songs, period, um, are based on the tones that these crops make. Uh, wow. Does that jive with what you're talking about or, or, or do you think that, that your tone was less plant intelligence and more something robotic or something electronic? Mm -hmm. Well, you've given me uh, um, something that I was not aware of, and uh, I, I have to say that's something that I will follow up. Um, when you're saying, if I could ask you a question, sure. <laughs> maybe we reverse this now for a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, it's a Colin Andrews show, people. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right. It's the end of the Colin Andrews show. Um, it, it, how do you mean that it, it, the sound it comes from the plants? I mean, it, it, they're kind of emanating from the stem or the head, or it's a frequency we actually can't hear but can measure. And I'm not quite. I'm not certain. He just said that that if if you know how to listen, basically, I see. Yeah, that they emit this, and that so for and, and it's different for different parts of the country, and you can extrapolate the world so that if he were to go to Hopi land. And listen to, and, and you know play a song from the corn that he had heard where he's from. The corn there might not recognize it. Wow! <laughs> because it's a well, it's song. it's fascinating. I mean, it's it's like it's cybernetics or um, I mean, since the chest head sound is uh, infrasound. Uh, the, the fact that the the trees are uh, uh, transmitting it uh, that that's in in, in electrical. Um, as electricity, effectively, the, the, it's a, a microphone, the, the probe of the microphone. You, in other words, you take the microphone away from the ends of two wires on your tape recorder and stick one probe into the bark of the tree, um, into, into the upright, you know, major, major trunk of the tree, and the other end of the wire, which in other words is the other probe, into the ground. So you've got, you've got a potential difference between the two, and across that, between the tree trunk and the ground, um, 
is this sound frequency. It is infrasound, so it, it would be true to say that those trees there, and, and, and uh, we, we have the record of what types of trees they are, are transmitting this sound, which is the same sound, by the way, that the dolphins use to communicate, and interestingly also is the United States um, um, submarines use this also uh, obviously below the water which is obviously why why there's this big um, uh, outrage going on about the interfering with the uh, honing systems of the dolphins but it is the same sound and so uh, what you're saying is very interesting and may well fall into the same category that's certainly something that I would I w you see this is where we probably would be now if we had started as we intended to do in July to have another look at that sound related to plants this time because of the trees that uh, Pat Delgado had discovered um, the sound coming from um, this year uh, well, if you have uh, a sample of that sound, I could pass it on to him and see if, if it's similar to what he's talking about. Well, that's fantastic. In fact, I can tell you right now, I would happily do that. But if uh, anybody listening, yourself and, and listeners and the gentleman concerned, if it, just head on to colinandrews.net, go to Chessfoot Head, and the sounds are there. The sound from the tree, the trees that were recorded by Pat before he became ill, uh, which we'll, we will be following up on, um, and the Chesford Head sound, uh, and also the BBC sound, which destroyed their camera uh, the day we were doing a, the BBC uh, interview. So all of those are there with the analysis for you and uh, anybody to have a look at. Okay, great. I'll direct them to it. Okay. Um, so here's my big catch-all question for you. <laughs> uh, you. You've been at this 30 years. Is there anything... Um, in your conclusions now, and in, in all of the ways that you've seen this phenomenon affect people uh, and affect you and, and all of that, is there anything that if you took a time machine and went back to yourself 30 years ago that you wouldn't believe back then? Is there something that took 30 years for you to be able to get, or could you have gotten it all back then? Wow, what a great question. Uh, well, I'm certainly a different person. I can tell you that, and my family will tell you that. Um, a, a very kind of um, yes or no black and white uh, engineer you know uh, my job was to resolve problems and those are found in in within known parameters in physics you know it it, it, it wasn't it, not the mystery remaining after you look at a piece of equipment that has failed uh, or not left with you for 30 years wondering how in the world it all connects together um, I've certainly been profoundly affected by something which I've seen evolve um, at, at a number of levels, Jeremy, uh, not just physically the actual phenomenon itself, which has evolved in a number of ways, the complexity being one, but two, the deception, human behavior. Uh, it, it disappoints me greatly. Uh, I've seen, for example, uh, we'll say a relatively new uh, mystery, enter the arena, the, as the UFO did in 47, uh, so the crop circles did in late 70s, early 80s. And with that, I was privileged to be one of the first through the door. And uh, in fact, I know I was uh, 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 in the first team, three or four of us, the first people on the, in the world looking at them seriously, um, outside of the government, which, who presumably were. If they were doing their job, they would have been. Um, and so what I witnessed was 
first of all, starting the government end, was the intelligence agencies uh, infiltrating uh, the groups as the years passed. Some we got to know who they were, others we did not and could only guess at. Uh, that kind of nonsense game still goes on. So you have, you know, you have kind of government doing their job, trying to find out what you know about what they know, etc. And then you have um, the mystery, uh, the funny brigade arrive on the scene, the skeptics, so I call them grade one and two. I have every, every, all the time in the world for a skeptic. I mean, that's what it's all about, you know, is, is, is having people that will challenge you uh, to, to better information. I, I have no problem with it. I actually enjoy speaking to skeptical people. I mean, we should all be uh, very questioning of, uh, of everything in front of us. I don't have a lot of time for what I call grade two skeptic, uh, who are cynical about everything, have not a positive thought or contribution to society, other than to down anybody and everybody that does. Um, and so I, I have no time for that. I don't, I don't feel to waste my time with people who, before they've even picked the microphone up or the telephone, are determined to destroy you. And there is no mileage in that for any of us. Uh, you know, we're living in a time right now that uh, we're in a hurry to resolve a lot of uh, a lot of our behaviors, and that's not one I've got time for. And so, as far as the, the phenomenon is concerned, it, it has tweaked me spiritually. Um, I've been, well, obviously honored and privileged to have been involved in this at many levels. I've traveled the world many times over. I've met wonderful people. I have uh, many contacts inside of government, um, you know, like Nick Pope, as uh, you know, if you were at the X conference where Nick and I had uh, regrettably to, to be, basically, he's sat in the audience, I'm up on the stage, at the, the, and, and basically countering one of his official documents and his, you know, his, his United Kingdom official um, policy statements. And, but I like Nick. Uh, he was doing his job, and he was one of those people I was privileged to meet in his job in the, in the Ministry of Defense. And since um, somewhat, I'll say somewhat outside of it, because as, as you know, he's sworn to the Official Secret Act, and that lasts for life. So he has some difficulties he will have to live with for the rest of his life. So it's affected me greatly. And what it has done now is that it has uh, very much focused me upon um, society and, and, and human consciousness uh, for the reasons that, you know, Jeff raised with the UFO and the similarity with the interactive facet uh, of the, and the expansion of the UFO phenomena in many ways beyond whether it's a, a hard physical object or vehicle of some kind as to how it could um, move its contours and shape and interact with the individuals by lasers and all the rest of it uh, if it were not exactly um, in some way connected with the function of the human mind. And so that's where I am now, but it's a long way from where I was uh, as an electrical engineer and, you know, and an official in regional government um, back all those years ago. And yeah, you mentioned Nick Pope, and you know I had asked him after that uh, in the in the aftermath of the roast. Yeah, uh, <laughs> if, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry it was that, but no, I, I think it, it really was. I mean, yeah, it was it was a necessary evil, if you want to call it that. I wouldn't even call it that. I guess um, it was just necessary. Um, but I had asked him, you know, had his opinion of crop circles changed? Um, because I'd interviewed him before, and he had said, 
farmers uh, are paid to let these crop circle hoaxers in, and he's gone out with the hoaxers, and he knows that it's all hoaxes, and the farmers are in on it. It's just like a big shell con game. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and there you are laying it out with documents and <laughs> and articles and and all this stuff, and and it didn't change his mind, or at least he said it didn't. Um, did you talk to him afterward, and and yes. did he a change of heart? Um, well, it's in just one or two different areas uh, that he has changed his uh, his ideas. It's not changed his ideas at all about the complexity of the, the complex crop circles. He feels that uh, they are probably all man-made. Uh, I think that that is where he comes from. Uh, it, what has changed his mind, and I've actually uh, I've had several discussions with him since Washington. We did a BBC interview about a radio interview two weeks after that um, conference where he acknowledged on BBC on the air live that um, the case that I had made with regard to the involvement of the British government, the Ministry of Defence, and the involvement and interest of the Queen, which had been questioned by him severely in the official document, that is the official government's position, was the Queen had no interest, the Prime Minister had no interest, there were no high-level meetings about crop circles, the police in central southern England were not involved at all in surveillance operations of any kind, with civilians or not, and the answer to every single one of those points, and some I've missed, like the D-notice, you know, uh, uh, the, the um, position that the government can take uh, to stop, censor, media at the throwing of a switch uh, in Great Britain, and similar provisions uh, exist here too. And he said that in his official documentation, the official policy statement, that they had, that is the British government, had never attempted to censor any media with regard to any event related to the crop circles or UFO. And I knew it to be wrong because I was involved in one. And so, as you saw, and your listeners um, may not know, is that uh, during Operation Blackbird, a surveillance operation back in 1990, um, a, a number of strange things happened, which we probably don't have time to go into because it's kind of a, a whole program of its own. But a D-notice was issued to take off air immediately um, a, a particular uh, a, a event that occurred there. And I have, uh, as I showed it in Washington, D.C., um, the documentation and the evidence from the well-known television and radio journalist in Great Britain who was on the air at the time and when they shut the station down with a D-notice. So Nick has had to say all... I mean, I, I have personal letters from the Queen from the Deputy Prime Minister, from the Chief, uh, personal letters from the, from the Chief Scientific Advisor. I was in the top secret air establishment at Boscombe Down. I have their photographs. I have the police photographs. And nobody could say that I don't and that they don't exist. So, unfortunately, uh, humble pie is all Nick had to, to, um, to, to, to do. So, I'm sorry, and I, and I think, you know, I think the great thing about it is he was uh, humble and honest enough to say, well, I had a job to do. It was our position to play down the UFO and the crop circle phenomenon, and uh, that's what I did. But the Colin Andrews documentation proves there was a greater interest than I was aware of. And so, 
that's it. We're all okay. Um, but the, the very point, which is worth making on air again now, is that when any government, the British government, the American government, or any other, like the Brazilians are currently doing now, when they come forward and tell us, the public, that they are now releasing hitherto secret documents related to the UFO, they better be doing so. And it better be just exactly that, that these are the documents. We, are, we do not have time left on this planet for any more of this nonsense. You know, if you're going to come clean with the information, which the UK did not do necessarily on phase one, they're adjusting on phase two. And I think that by the time we get, they get to see, the public really are ready for this, and we do want the truth, the whole darn lot of it, then perhaps then the U.S. will come forward and give us the bottom line, which I think most people involved in this research, like yourselves, know that the U.S. are holding some major, major cards here, and I think we're ready for it because we need it. We need consciousness to take us to a new place, and that will come with the truth. Well, when you say that was Nick Pope's job was, was to downplay this stuff, what's, yeah. his job, what's his job now? Well, that's, a, again, a great question. Uh, I can't answer that, of course. Um, <laughs> Nick will be the guy to answer it. Um, it it's, a, it's a great question, and, and I, I guess I, I really just have to say that we've been given one example of uh, not having the truth uh, under the direct management of his bosses at the Ministry of Defense, and he now is officially released from his position, but still sworn to the Official Secrets Act. I think, I think the answer has got to be, and I will eat humble pie if it comes to this, that he is still sworn to the policy of the, minister, the British Ministry of Defense. And if they are downplaying certain things that have already happened, and things that will happen uh, in, the, in the coming years, and he's told to play it one way, he will play it one way. And that's, uh, that's the, 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 the name of the game there. Uh, I like Nick a lot. And in fact, I, I, I always, I, I, my wife is not too many feet away from me as I speak to you. She knows that when I returned from meetings in London with Nick, and this is years ago, that uh, I liked, not only liked Nick Pope, I thought he was a, a new generation that were going to be doing some things. I felt in him that he may have himself had some experiences and uh, we will wait to see but he has proven to be that he is the bridge i mean he is the communicator of um uh, from the civilian position uh, of the ministry of defense he's the guy that's been in those vaults and was head of the ufo project for the british government so uh, we'll wait and see but uh, it's a great question uh, the answer will be uh, whatever lies ahead and i hope it is the truth it's interesting you, you brought up uh, uh, Project Blackbird. Um, I was in high school when uh, Unsolved Mysteries did uh, oh, yes, that's right. their thing on the crop circles, and they, they had mentioned Project Blackbird and that you guys had gotten video of something creating these crop circles, and then they, they said they were going to follow up on it, and they never did. And I remember uh, I was doing a paper in high school, a science paper on uh, crop circles, and so... I called the only person you know I, I knew of was Ray Fowler because I, I'm from Massachusetts. Yes. Uh, and I, his son was in the phone book, so his son actually gave me his phone number, and he had just stepped off a plane. He was in England and said that the Project Blackbird video footage was confiscated by the military, and that's why there was no follow-up on it. Am, am I yeah. remembering that correctly? Is that what happened? 
Uh, well, you're remembering it almost correctly, certainly. Uh, I can tell you what, what, what actually happened. Uh, your version is very close to it. The only difference is that what I've always called the yellow tape, uh, just to set this up, we had a bank of um, image intensifier cameras, um, low-light cameras, image intensifiers, infrared, and um, each camera uh, was... Um, looking at a different area of the landscape below this escarpment which was owned by the Ministry of Defence and this was in, in also in Nick Pope's reign by the way um, and so we had these cameras filming day and night for 10 days and within the first 48 hours uh, something happened early hours in the morning I was at that time at home asleep you know I was I coordinated the operation with the uh, British military with the BBC and Nippon Television Japan and uh, the one camera picked up in the yellow the on the yellow um, VCR which was recorded uh, an event well I reacted to this it was part of a protocol that we had a film crew came out that were staying locally for Nippon Television in Japan who 90% funded the whole operation so they were going to transmit this to the world if something had happened uh, ahead of the BBC by a matter of hours was part of the deal and they were mobilized I was mobilized I went off over there in my my vehicle and uh, Pat and so on and when we got there um, but it was kind of all hell let loose um, there were media coming in from London. Uh, there were satellite dishes being put up, and uh, it was an absolute circus uh, going on there. But what, yes, what happened was that I was told verbally that um, a, a triangular-shaped object had been seen above the field um, that night, and that it had been recorded. And uh, obviously, um, before. I was asked to do the first television um, news item uh, from the site at First Light, which went out on BBC Breakfast Time Television, came into Good Morning America here, I think, a little bit afterwards. And uh, by the time of the, the dust had settled and that I'd seen for myself what had happened was directly in front of the, the operation, a hoax had been perpetrated. Um, that's again a whole other program we could talk about it because there's too much involved in how it arrived there etc but in a field to the left something else happened which was on a VCR tape which um, was removed from the site uh, without me seeing it and or anybody else uh, seeing what it had actually recorded um, that was removed, and as far as I know, to this day, um, as far as I know, what I'm told is that it, 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 it was sent to uh, Nihon University in Japan for analysis. Um, that's the short version. There's too many other laterals to that that, that I, would, I don't think be prepared to say on air because uh, there's so much that we don't know. Uh, but I, I, I've never been told, and there have not been any real indications, because I would say that the, if the military had taken that themselves and military were on the side, um, I would tell you so, because you've given me a straight question, and I will give you a straight answer. But it became very deliberately um, confusing uh, for me to be able to trace precisely the steps that were taken, 
and, and to, to precisely who managed the removal of that tape. But so mystery still remains about what happened on Blackbird. But, and yet we now know that uh, a secret site, um, which I was aware, I was aware of a secret site at Silbury Hill, but what I was not aware of at the time was that the military had filmed there for themselves. Um, a, a bright uh, white light over a field where circles were discovered at first light. So a whole, maybe there's another program there, <laughs> but a lot of stuff was going on around Blackbird. Hmm. Let me ask you this, and then I'll turn it back over to Jeff, or else I'll end up stealing what I know are his questions. Okay. <laughs> um, Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Now, the, so... You want disclosure, you said that, that the U.S. government um, needs to disclose, well, if we're going to say that this is about consciousness and not about nuts and bolts aliens that, well, I guess as the disclosure movement has it, you know, it's sort of, they're just yeah. like us, you know, just waiting for us to join the Galactic Federation. If it's not about all of that, if it is indeed more alien than that, or even more um, transcendentally human than that, what, yeah. would dis what would disclosure actually do? What, why is that so important? Well, I think it's important because whatever it is, let's just have it for what it is. Uh, if, there, if there's nuts and bolts evidence uh, from Roswell or anywhere else, and many, you know, many people, um, you know, from the, uh, from the Jesse Marcells to, to the, the rest of the well-known individuals that have come forward uh, with evidence uh, surrounding the Roswell event itself, um, some uh, many would say that there absolutely was nuts and bolts evidence that the U.S. have and know it, and have lied about it ever since, including you know lying to his own father. And so, uh, if they do have this, and that is so, let, let, let's have it. Let's have what happened uh, on the east coast there at um, Bent Waters. And there's many, many witnesses. I've spoken to many myself. Um, you know, in fact, I was with, with some of them just a few uh, weeks ago. And, uh, you know, again, if they know it, and we, there's every indication they do, that they're, they're just denying uh, the public access to important information of the nuts and bolts kind, let's have it. Um, and, and if, and I agree with you, that um, if we're looking at uh, the evolution of uh, consciousness, and uh, other parameters that we've just not adequately studied, um, uh, then let's have that too. Uh, so, uh, I mean, the whole thing is shrouded in, in secrecy it is, is not the way we're going to move into the new paradigm. Uh, and I do think we are indeed moving into a new paradigm. Uh, there's too much happening um, around us right now, multi-layered, um, that, uh, you know, that, that really, really cries out for the very latest science, the very, very top-line knowledge on all of these parameters of which the UFO offers uh, one part of that equation. And so uh, that's what I would expect release to be. I, I, I would expect a very highly intelligent conversation. Who knows what happened at the Vatican last week or was it the week before? But they, as you know, had their study, um, a whole week of discussion on this. And um, let's have our discussion with the people we, we voted into position. Um, I'm sure, actually, it won't come from the people we voted in position, but the civil servants, the guys that run the show, do know. 
I mean, you know, I, I, I know John Alexander and these other uh, individuals. These guys have access to information that you and I don't. It's wrong. I think it's simply wrong that we, we, we are all, we're, we're growing into a new period or we're going we're to fall short here and lose it. Um, that's where I fall. And so that's, that, that would be my answer, Jeremy, that um, whatever they know, let's have it. And if they truly do not have it, then let's, let's, let's have them look us right in the eyes and tell us that. I don't believe it for a moment. Not for a moment is there nothing to tell us. This is what we've had spent our couple of hours on now, and there's a lot more, and there's a lot more that's going to open our eyes, I'm sure, if they give it to us. Well, would you believe them if they've been lying to us all these years? Would you believe whatever comes out of their mouth? No, I don't at the moment. I believe very little that comes out of their mouth. But I'm hopeful, as I think we have to be, for our children and for our future, that we are at some point on this planet going to be talking face-to-face -face with humanity who respects one another, that knows what the value of truth, which leads to a contentment, which is love. I mean, this coming from a guy, I mean, I used to be a boxer and a, a fireman and a sportsman, and it's kind of rough and tumble as anybody. Um, but, you know, the bottom line, that that glues us together is love. And I don't hear or see enough of it. Um, and, and, and it's all, it's, I, I know it's kind of, we got there so kind of out of nowhere, suddenly we're, we're talking about, or I am talking about the word love, but it's in the center of it all. And, you know, we, we're not going to get anywhere near that as a nation or as an, as an international community unless it comes to the center of our discussion. You know, there, there are too many sides, there's too much conflict, there's too many personalities and egos. We've got to cut through it. Time is running out, and this is the time for the UFO subject to be concluded as best it can, even if it leaves many questions, which I'm, I'm sure it will do, but we're ready for it now because we're coming apart here, and uh, this is the time. Colin, one of the um, things that, and I, I guess I should kind of preface this by telling you, since you probably haven't heard our show before. I have, but, actually. But, yeah. but, but, oh, have you? Okay, great. Um, Jeremy and I both have had close relation with the UFO subject, me since I was five years old, Yeah. Um, that frankly over the course of most of my life has scared the hell out of me in plain out words. Right. Um, and one of the things that I found especially weird in reading on your website was this whole case that I think you were involved in about the time that I first contacted you about the interview which was this tall whites case uh, reported by the police officer near formation. And the reason I say that is because this policeman has now, if I'm reading right, has gone on to report something that I've talked about as well, which is a kind of ghost and or slash poltergeist type activity around yeah. him since yeah. this has happened. Can you speak a little bit about that case and, and where it stands right now? Yes, certainly. And uh, I think just <laughs> just to add this, as it just happened live, um, I don't know whether you heard in the background as you were talking to me about uh, this particular point, uh, the Microsoft sound come over the speakers here. Yeah. But I'm sat in a bank of computers uh, at my home in Connecticut, and uh, each of these computers, there are three here that have just closed down one after the other without me touching a single button. Well, you're, you're welcome. That just happened right there, <laughs> right there. 
Each one, it's the first time that has ever happened, I can tell you, and each one has just fallen straight out without any power cuts. Anyway, there you go. That happened live. <laughs> well, 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 here's something else, and I'll bring this up right now because Jeremy and, I talk, Jeremy and I have talked about this a lot. Right now, during this conversation, does anybody else besides me feel the air right now? I mean, I'm not kidding. When you get this deep into this subject, as yeah. we're doing right now, the air seems to change. Yeah. I mean, there is a definitive feeling in this room I'm in right now. I felt like crying for about the past hour, and I have no idea why. <laughs> no, seriously. No, I, I mean... It's I'm, weird. Well, I, I uh, several times, um, more about 20 minutes ago, I think, um, the, the mute went extremely quiet. On my phone, I actually thought that your, the program had been disconnected from me because I was about to say, but I didn't feel to do so because we were on air. Uh, are, are you still there? Because the mute <laughs> dropped you, both of you out to such a degree, I thought I was talking to myself. So the air certainly is a little electric, a, shall we say. It is a little weird, yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, well, certainly just to answer your, your point, Jeff, yes, um, the policeman, the police officer, he's a police sergeant uh, in Wiltshire Police, uh, 6th of uh, July uh, this year. Uh, this is the case you're referring to, isn't it? Yes, sir. Uh-huh. That, that right, that was driving uh, from Devizes, where he had been on duty, to his home in Marlborough, coming up to Silbury Hill, the tallest man-made mound in Europe. On his left-hand side, he was driving the A4 highway, and to the right-hand side, just as he's approaching the hill, um, on his right, he was aware as a police officer uh, that there was a crop design in the field. You couldn't see it from the road. It was on a higher ground there. But he was aware it was there because Wiltshire police are getting calls all the time about, you know, from farmers and nuisance parking, etc., surrounding the crop circles in that area. So he was aware of it being there. It was actually a Mayan headdress kind of pattern uh, crop circle in that field. And so he's approaching there, and he saw three, he thought three people, three humans. They were all each rather tall, and he saw them there as he's just doing his policeman's job. He's looking at them. This is early hours in the morning, just after 5 o'clock. And uh, as he got closer, he noticed that they were all identically dressed in uh, white uh, suits, white white kind of like um, work suits, uh, tight-fitting with their hoods dropped down to the back of their necks. Each had blonde hair, and the more it kind of came home as to why they looked odd to him, uh, the more he became alarmed that these were each in excess of six feet, fairly well in excess of six feet. They were identically dressed, and when he saw their faces, they looked the same. Long blonde hair, their cheekbones were high cheekbone, their eyes were slightly larger than... Um, hours. He, by this time, uh, I, I've kind of somewhat jumped here, because it, it, by this time, by looking at his features and knowing what he was really looking at, uh, he had stopped his vehicle, he had parked up, he had shouted to them from the side of the highway, and it was, it was as if they were completely oblivious to the fact he was there. They took no notice. They carried on, he said, looking as if they were looking at or testing the plants. He thought that perhaps initially that they were forensic from the police themselves or from some, some plant uh, group of some sort, organization. But clearly, by looking at them, the, these were strange beings. And he climbed through the barbed wire fence where I later fl I flew over to England and went and took the same route 
through this wire fence into the field and again he called out to them and they then did respond uh, he said that uh, within, this is all happening within seconds he said that the plants were moving um, as if the wind was blowing the heads of the plant but there were plants but there was no wind there was no air movement but that he heard this crackling sound uh, which seemed to be uh, it's the sound waving seemed to um, connect with the movement of the plants when the plants would move the crackling sound would take place and it sounded as if to him like, like there was some kind of electrical energy field um, around these people or these beings and so he called out again the second time they did react and when they reacted the movement of the plants waved down towards him and as the energy field which i will call it it's not what he said uh, i'm just in relating it to you to communicate it um, as that those plants and that energy field reached him he immediately suffered a very severe headache which he had for the rest of the day he looked back at his car to see where he could get out of the, the barbed wire fence quickly because it, as you know it's it's, a, it's a, a rather kind of difficult thing to do barbed wires are it's a nasty kind of um, material and as soon as he looked back the, these beings were he said running faster than any person he has ever seen and they then simply just disappeared it was people have asked as we have asked Andy Russell is the frontline researcher that has actually got the contact with this police officer he, he's uh, probably very wisely um, curtailing his own involvement with other researchers or the media he's refused media interviews the police have somewhat shielded him by saying that what's happening to him as a police officer is a private um, a private uh, deal that they, the police force, are not involved, uh, which I, th I think is probably kind of a, a wise thing to do. But th these these beings were running away, moving away at speed, um, but then simply disappeared. Uh, when we arrived there, that uh, I went there, Busty Taylor, my wife, and uh, and a couple of others retraced the steps as plotted in the field by the police officer and discovered that there were tracks there that indeed moved only in one direction into the standing crop and simply terminated as if they disappeared which is what he said they did do disappeared well when he went home he got on his vehicle and a, 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 a basically a changed man his reality changed there on the spot he's suffering greatly by what has happened to him and then things very weird began to happen at his home he had people well I'm saying people of course he had uh, tappings at the door his front door to open the the door to find nobody was there he had electrical lights coming on and off just like my computer just did without him touching anything um, he's had um, two a very powerful UFO experiences uh, outside of his home. Uh, he'd, he'd had none of this before. He said to um, people that uh, that I'm that I'm working with that uh, he's sorry that any part of this ever happened because his life is upside down. It's like something went home with him. Um, 
it's a very a very strange situation. They, he has described to the police um, artist uh, art, art, artistry division um, these people that you know draw um, from eyewitnesses, um, bank robbers, and so on. I mean, just facial features to help uh, bring forward uh, uh, witnesses. Um, to these uh, individuals, they have sketched um, these tall beings, and I am told uh, this is the latest that um, Nippon Television have shown an interest in putting together a very careful, carefully uh, documented television program, which he has agreed to appear on in silhouette. Uh, uh, he doesn't want to be seen his features to be seen, but he's prepared to go on television and to make a one-off statement with the police's own um, artist's impression of what he saw. So wow. that's the kind of long description, the very latest, and as much as I can certainly say uh, about that, that experience. Um, I know we're winding down here. I, I did want to ask you um, one thing, and, and again, it's, it's a selfish question because it's related to something that, that, that I've noticed. Um, in the way of, and, and I feel like somehow this applies to you with the whole crop circle thing and, and all the years that you've spent in this and all that you've lost and given up for this. I've noticed over the years that part of my thinking has leaned towards that this phenomena, whatever it is, I'll just call it the anomaly, which encompasses everything, seems to do what I put akin to fishing terms of trolling that it trolls essentially to get the attention of someone or a group of people uh, of some sort. And I know that in my own experiences with this is that these beings that I have seen, and, and they have changed uh, not too awfully long ago, but they seem to have a real hell-bent desire to be acknowledged as real uh, in that they want me to touch them, they want me to look at them. Uh, they want me to interact more. They want me to talk about them more. And all of this seems to facilitate their ability to manifest in this reality that we're in. Do you think it's possible that, and I know this would only be probably a, a guess on your part, do you think it's possible that this police officer, yourself, Jeremy, me, all of us who have seen this stuff, the numbers of which seem to be growing by the amount of interest here lately in the paranormal. Do you think it's a possibility that this actively put out a hook and you bit it and the officer bit it and therefore we're all having these experiences by virtue of our focus upon it? Yeah, I mean, the, the, straight, the straight answer is absolutely yes. Uh, and, I, and I don't know... Um, uh, how, how you feel about this, but that from my own personal experience, and, and there's nothing stronger, is there? I was good to hear you speaking there about personal experiences, because those are the ones that you're not looking for anybody to convince you about. You know what you've seen. You know what has happened to you. And uh, I only know that in the half a dozen or so experiences that I've personally had, that I've, I've, I've found in, in many hours of analyzing each of them, in, in, to myself, you know, not trying to satisfy anybody else's criteria, just my own, the only common denominator I have been able to find, and I would hold on to it until I'm kind of um, prove it not to, have, to be so, is that in each case, 
I have myself been involved in a mind process, but more than that, that I've come from a position of absolute deep sincerity. And, 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 I've, and I've, I hold with this um, until other experiences show it not to be, you know, to be crucial, as it were. But those things that have happened to me have come from a position of me sincerely, I mean very sincerely, uh, trying to establish uh, new information. And it's like the front of my, my, my conscious since being sincere with my subconscious, as it were, you know, that this discussion's going on in two parts of my brain, which appear then to, to connect with a bigger uh, life force, that from a higher place. And, you know, that's, of course, where ultimately we finish up, uh, maybe not you and I disagreeing, but, 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 but with religion, uh, disagreeing with other forms of religion that we're looking to answer where is that coming from you know is it a god uh, allah or or what is that higher that higher being but I'm, I'm i'm totally convinced it exists but is it something ahead of us in time is it something from the past is it the akashic field the akashic record that all that has been and that all that will ever be and that we experience it in our reality only if we connect or attempt as you're saying uh, make a deliberate attempt to connect with it that it's out there kind of dangling a carrot and just waiting to see if somebody will bite but when you bite and you bite sincerely and you're after interaction because you want to know more then you become part of it and uh, I, I agree with the tenure that the direction that you've taken um, you know that as a suggestion uh, I, I certainly believe that um, that that that's where I think it all is right now uh, Jeremy do you have anything else I think that's a perfect place to leave this I do too. But I think that, that you, you know, have to come back on the show. Yes. Will you please come back on? At well, well absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And, and thank you both for being so well researched and, uh, and very enjoyable to, to talk with. Well, I, I did want to say I heard uh, in your. I just watched your X Conference uh, DVD again last night for about the 15th million time. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And I heard you mention in there that you you had lost so much uh, to this over the years, your 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 country, your it, on and on that it went. Um, and, I, and I think I can speak for Jeremy and, and all of our listeners in saying that uh, you didn't lose anything in vain because we really appreciate everything that you've done over well, the whole course much. of what you've done. And uh, uh, and this is this has been a real pleasure to have you on the show. And and like I say, I hope we'll get you back really soon. Well, thank, thank you, Jeff, and thank you very much, Jeremy. I, I've, I've enjoyed it. very much appreciate that. It's been an honor, sir. Hi, this is Richard Dolan. You're listening to Paratopia. Wait, Paratopia Radio? No, Paratopia is fine. That was good. <laughs> get, get that last part, too, where I say, wait, Paratopia Radio. <laughs> wow, 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 Jeff. Is everybody's jaws up off the floor at this point? Because mine's was... not. That was something. <laughs> Jesus. There's the guy. There's the guy for me. I mean, that's it. <laughs> that's it. What do you what do you say after a show like that? I mean <laughs> Yeah, there were so many things that like you know, I really I would love to have him back on 
now, right now. <laughs> I know. We had a nice after chat, too, which was great. I mean... Yeah, yeah. He, a lot of great stuff came up in that that we need to flesh out on the air, you know? And, and you know what? And here's the thing, and I'll, I'll say this unequivocally to everybody. There's a guy who has spent a lot of his life and has lost an immeasurable amount of, of, of his life to this and is still one of the kindest most generous guys that you've ever met in this field. And I, I, frankly, I can't wait to have him back on. Uh, I mean, we've got so much that we didn't get to ask him because we didn't want to suck up all of his evening. But I don't know if it's him or, or his delivery. I don't know what it is. But I got that same feeling that I got when I heard Make the X Conference where I just want to cry. It, it's like it just, it's something that just grows in my chest and suddenly uh, it, I'm in a state of it, wanting to tear up and cry. And I don't know well, what, what you, is that. Be- because he is such an he's an open book i mean if he can tell you he'll tell you everything that he's analytically looked at everything that he's researched and then everything that he thinks about it down to the core of what he thinks and that's a rarity in this i mean he is you know a rarity that you won't get many researchers to tell you this is what i think I mean, that, that just doesn't happen. You get the facts and only the facts, or you get only what they think. With him, you get both. Um, <laughs> it's how it's affected his life. <laughs> yeah, it's a, he's... Oh, God damn it, that was good. I mean... <laughs> that, that was like the best show ever to me. Ever. I mean, really. Let's take a uh, moment and breathe. <laughs> <sighs> now, alright, let's try to get into some semblance of detail here. Now, when when he talked about seeing a UFO in one field, and it was faked in another field that same night? Did I hear that correctly? I, I think so. Now, does that sound suspiciously like the Phoenix Lights? Where you've got one thing that happens that's completely, you know, mm. real or unidentified, and then the big faked spectacular event that everybody the, videotapes. The, the camouflaging of the actual event, you know. I don't know, because, I mean, look at it this way, the way, and and I hope that this came across right for our audience, that essentially he expounds on it a lot more in the X-Conference lecture, where he speaks of, let's just take advantage of the popularity of Doug and Dave. Doug and Dave were the two old guys who came out way back when and said, yeah, we've been hoaxing these circles for years, and you know, we, we just we we go out to the pub, we get half tanked up on some stout, and we go out and make some circles. But <laughs> what even they said was that after a while, they said, "Why are we still doing these?" And it was because they felt compelled to do them. The people who are actively making circles now or formations now, they call themselves, you know, crop artists or sewer artists or whatever are saying that they're witnessing balls of light above them as they're making these uh, the, these symbols in the fields. Um, they're, they're having other phenomena that happens to them. Now, it's very easy to say on the outside of things that, well, these guys are hoaxers. So, of course, they're going to lie and say that they're seeing these things as well. The problem is, is Colin Andrews has seen these things as well. So he knows what to listen for. He knows what to what earmarks are out there that can negate or, you know, substantiate a, a certain claim by any of these people. They feel compelled to do these. The, the instance he gave was of the man planning one out with, with, with a relative. The relative gets sick. They don't do it. It still shows up. 
you know, that again. So when you're talking about here's a faked one over here and here's the legitimate phenomena above another field, did one cause the other? <laughs> you know, let's go back to George Hansen. You know, does the marginality effect apply there? Hell yeah, it applies. Uh, you know, it's marginalized. It's casting doubt upon itself. Back to McKenna again. The, the phenomena is, is doing that. I mean, to me, that, that, seems, that seems right. If I understood that story right, I, I think that's what was going on. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> now what? I'm just still in shock. I don't know. There was something about that that was just... <laughs> I don't know, the whole thing, and then with the computers going off and the high strangeness and the, the whatever all came I mean, you at didn't, the same time. You, you didn't feel that? I mean, I felt it I'm not kidding time. you. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, everything, was, it just feels like the air changes. And I knew, you know, about halfway through that, that we were into it. I mean, that we were in the freaking groove with Colin Andrews and, and here we are and we're talking about this and it's listening. I had that proximity type of feeling. It, it, the air just feels different. I hope to God that transfers onto the podcast. <laughs> I want to, so, the next time we have him on part of what we talked about privately had to do with symbols and had to do with triangles. Mm-hmm. And I think if we have him back on, we should have him on with Tiokas and ghost horse. Talk about some of these things. I just think, He'd have a lot to offer, you know? I think they, okay. they would have a lot to offer each other, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... Um, that might be a show for the ages. If if Jason would do it, I don't know that he would, but... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, it, it's amazing. I mean, you, you know, you think about where this guy is... He, he's been, he's run the whole gambit of this, this subject that he's, that he's studied for all these years, and, and he's saying, you know, the conclusion right now, for this point in time, is this. And... I mean, it, for me, it just coincides so completely with the way I feel about the whole thing. It's so that, interesting uh, that, you know, you, you hear this stuff and you hear about, I lost my country, this and that fell apart, you know, right. my partner dies, my uh, other partner dies. Yeah. Uh, all of this loss and all of these strange things being pulled into this circle and who knows what's going to happen. All of these scary, fearful things. And yet the outcome is that this is all about love. And, it, you know... Once I wish we'd flesh that out more because I feel like there's something in in that there's something about all of this stuff that, that you know that you and I we talk about and and well, people on our message boards or just in general don't necessarily embrace, which is mm-hmm. uh, for instance the hero's journey, which ultimately mm-hmm. ends up in the hero being a hero and being an enlightened whatever at the end of it. Is you got to go through hell. You got to burn. You got to get there uh, to to get that. Well, it's being broken down, isn't it? It's I mean, that's down, what. It's... But there's also, and then there's also something about this use of language that there, there's this that there's this whatever this thing is. It's holistic in that in ways that we aren't able to conceive of yet. Um, and I think again, this is where Teokas and Ghost Horse comes in handy because I think the Lakota can conceive of it in some ways because. They do listen to nature. They do read signs in things. They do work with intuition uh, as fluently as we work with logic and probably Mm. as fluently as they work with logic. I mean, it's all of a movement. And I think that if any psychologist is going to tell you that that the thing that we think is most real about ourselves is this shallow conscious self that we present to the world and that the real thing Mm. that's us 
is all the stuff underneath that surface. And if you have some sort of intelligence that speaks with all of that at the same time, that movement, that that communication is going to break down accordingly through the receiver, Mm -hmm. through us. And so it's going to look scary. It's going to look evil. It's going to look angelic. It's going to look deep and dark and all of that stuff. And you got to sort of push through it to get to the very simple thing of it's all about love. Now, and I think we got to flesh that out. <laughs> we got to and, and figure out what love means at that point because it certainly doesn't mean a coddling god who sits in a heaven and and uh, answers your wishes. Uh, no. and it certainly isn't necessarily the same as like a mother loves her child. Love. It's not in love like romantic love. So, what is this thing we're talking about when we say love? Have I? I don't. And you'll have to. You know, either edit this out or, or just remind me that I did. Did I ever talk about the the bliss experience going down ninety five on the show? Have I talked about that yet? I don't think so. I, I'll make this extraordinarily brief. Um, when I was buying my house, I think anybody who on the on the message board or a listenership that has bought a house knows how incredibly stressful that is, uh, and it, and it was extraordinarily stressful for me, even though. Our purchase of a home went through so smoothly that the <laughs> that the, that the bank and our real estate agent said he'd never seen anything so smooth. But be that as it may, I was a nervous wreck. Um, I had taken to driving to work and I guess meditating on uh, things going smoothly, things being right, and feeling all of those feelings of what it would be like when I walk through the door into my new house, uh, how happy I would be. I felt all of that. I didn't think about bad things happening. I didn't think about, uh, the bank not giving us the money or not being able to afford it or any, I just thought none of that. I'm just going to focus on all that good stuff. And at the end of that, I would just get into this perpetual, uh, which felt completely natural to me. And I know most people are going to start rolling their eyes at this one, especially coming from me. I'm not the, uh, you know, I'm not the meditative guy. That's you. Um, but I, I, I just sick, got, Jeff. I got into this, <laughs> this staunch researcher. Now I, I got into this, uh, this perpetual feeling of just gratitude. And I didn't even know what I was throwing this gratitude out to. In other words, I, I was saying, just thank you for everything going smoothly. Thank you for my house. Thank you for, the health that I have and thank you for the calm and the peace that it's going to be and all of that. And I would just get into this perpetual. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I did this every day for weeks and weeks. And I remember one day I got into just a real groove with it. I had some good music on the radio and I'm going down 95 and just before my exit. Uh, and I have no other way to explain this. So if it sounds like an airy fairy thing to say, so be it. This is, this is how it felt. It felt like there was something radiating from everywhere, namely from a spot up into my right in the air that felt like if you can, if you can possibly put it into words, you called it bliss when I explained it to you. Uh, it lasted about 30 seconds at the most, um, and it just felt what you would imagine in a cinematic kind of way is like, God is up wherever he is and he's taking care of everybody's requests and, and, and seeing through life and death and making things happen. And for one 30 second period, he does nothing but look at you and smile. 
He doesn't say anything, but you have his absolutely undivided 100% attention for that short seconds of time. He's looking right at you. Uh, now, I'm not saying for, I saw a giant eyeball in the sky or anything like that. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is, that, is that the totality of what's holding this reality together smiled at me. Me. Nobody me. Me, just another guy, me. And it was at the same time that it felt like you just wanted to melt into the seat. It, it, was, it also had this feeling of just hugeness beyond hugeness. And the love, and that's the only way you can describe it, and love is a trite word for what this felt like. Uh, it was just, I love you, kiddo. <laughs> Except that's coming from the awe, you know. I, I, and I have no words to describe that. And then it started to, as I approached my exit, it started to ebb away. And I, was, I found myself, number one, crying for no apparent reason other than I want that again. You know, and and don't leave me, you know, don't leave me because I want that to stay like just like that for the rest of my life. I don't want to be any other way. And you realize it's ebbing away because it's it's going back into its notion of churning out the universe or whatever the hell it's doing. I don't know. But that to me is you can feel love for mom and dad. You can feel love for your children, your dog, your wife, your family, your brother and sister. There is nothing that will compare to that. And if that's what we feel and what people say that they feel when they have near-death experiences or whatever, if that's what it is, no one should be afraid to leave this place (laughs) because it is the most unbelievable feeling that I've ever had in my life. I think that's what you're talking about when you say it's all about love, you know? Well, and and I think that that's what I'm talking about when I'm pushing for this oneness I am state that I experienced uh-huh. that I keep saying this is what I need to be getting back to because I think that what you're describing is, um, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, because we're not that love, we have to experience it as a receiver. We have to experience ourselves in relationship to this thing. But in fact, we can be that thing. We can be the thing radiating, generating that love. But to listen to somebody say that, I mean, it just harkens back to all the crap. <laughs> Rage crap, yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, let me ask you, let me ask you something before you go on. Yeah. Why, because why, you've had experience with this sort of thing before. Why do you think that it would radiate from, like, what seemed like a fixed point in the sky? What, what do you think, what, 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 what does that harken to? What does, does that mean anything to you? Does that ring a bell of any sort? Have you ever felt a feeling radiate from a certain point in the sky like that? Uh, no, I don't know. Well, I'll tell you this, and this isn't that, but it's okay. similarly odd. And this is something mm-hmm. I haven't told you and I haven't shared with anybody, actually. It's <laughs> <laughs> a first. It's a first, because what do you do with this? Uh, after we did the uh, Harvard meeting, Mm-hmm. Um, when I went back home, as I was just lying in bed, it, it wasn't like nighttime. I wasn't asleep or anything. I was just right. lying down on the bed resting or whatever. I, I saw, I, I mean, the room was full of this energy. You know, I, I could see what I normally see, which are, you know, like little beads of light buzzing around and zipping around and all this sort of staticky mm-hmm. stuff. And what looked like two of these things sort of came in and went into my chest. 
and I mm-hmm. felt like blissful, I guess. I mean, not, not to the extent that you're talking about, but to the right. extent that I then wanted to um, call up random people and tell them that I was in love with them. <laughs> yes, yes. And just yes. tell them I love them and tell, you know, all of this stuff. And I realized, you know, if I do this, then the next day when this effect is worn off, I'm going to be screwed. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like the drunk, you know, going so He's a nut. Yeah. He must have been drinking something. <laughs> I'm in love with you. It was just these energies that <laughs> came into me. And and that's what I thought of when he said, when he was talking about, um, I think I think it was, was it Pat, who was doing something. Yes, did his, you catch that? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Doing something to his what was it, solar plexus? Yes. Yes. Um I mean what? is that is that not what I do? <laughs> I am I pretty sure. Is you know, we got Graham we got Graham Hancock's Yes, we got Graham Hancock's magicians, and we have this there. I mean, this this stuff I mean, it's keeps all together. Up. It's like, you know, I almost want to say to him, geez, you should do ayahuasca with Graham Hancock because he's got some nature spirits that <laughs> that want to clean out your psychology and talk about love too. Right. Yeah. I mean, all yeah. of this stuff is just pushing at you from different angles. Now, as far as you know, why would something be in a specific point in the sky? I don't know. Except that, um, I guess here's a question: If you don't have anything to associate this love with, like if you're not a Christian or a, a Buddhist or a Muslim or whatever, if you don't have that image, then where is it coming from? When it does come, right. may, maybe it comes from a point in the sky because the closest thing you have a representative for is this quote-unquote alien business i i don't know if it's that or whether you know the sky is just the prettiest part of the picture you're looking at as you're driving down the road i mean is that you know is that, i mean you know i've been listening to, to to terrence again talk about uh you know what is truth what is love and then what is beauty and uh he says you know what is truth tricky <laughs> what is love trickier what is beauty everybody knows what beauty is but then he puts the little caveat in there that says, but then again, if you're, if you know what beauty is, you're doomed to live out for the rest of your life to your own taste. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I guess the, the most beautiful part of that particular scenery I was looking at was the sky, but I, that's just what it felt like. And I remember exactly like you're saying, it's just like, it was, you know, you just kept saying, I mean, my mouth was just in this perpetual state of, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I couldn't make it stop. I mean, it was just completely consuming me. And uh, and I'm driving a, a moving vehicle while this was going on. You know, that was a little unsettling after I thought about it. But, I mean, it completely made you want to melt. Uh, it was unlike anything I've ever felt in my life. Now, I, again, y- you could... Uh, uh, I guess a psychologist or the science would say extreme stress, release of endorphins, blah blah blah. No, now, no, that no, ain't no. It. It's the same. That thing. ain't it's, it. It's the same thing as for me listening to Colin Andrews speak so passionately about this stuff, which mm-hmm. is it's the sweet release uh, of freedom from the clenchedness of yourself that you walk around pretending that you are. It's suddenly wiped away. You know, and even in, in listening to Colin Andrews speak, it's like all of the my own pretentious stuff of like I want to, you know, I want to ask him about all of that. Right. I want stuff because I'm not actually listening to listen. I'm listening to self fortify and to pick and choose right. what I want so that I remain as I am. I mean, I'm as guilty of this as anybody else. Sure. Um, I, I think that just goes right out the window. You're immediately confronted with. 
the honesty of the situation of like, yes. and then it's, and then it becomes the longing because as soon as that goes away, of course you want to recreate that. You're like, why is yeah. that? Oh, I get it. I can't have that because I'm me. So me has to go away for that to exist. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I think that's what, and that there it is again. You. It shines through mm-hmm. you. It dissolves you. And you are that bliss state. You are that. And, mm. um, and I, I, and so once again, to get back to my own shtick, I, I feel like um, because we can do that, we must do that. I mean, why are we doing this? What are we toiling around as these little shallow end of the pool selves when there's all of this? You know, why are we sitting here and, you know, we got to debate it. If it doesn't make right. perfect logical sense, then it's, then it's out. We have to prove it to each other. What are we proving so that we can draw right. it into this world and, and make it something etched in stone that's it's completely crappy and shallow as we are? Yeah, so we can label it. Yeah. yeah. And then remain and, and, isn't that what, and then be miserable. I mean, why are we doing this? Exactly. Well, well, and, and here's the thing. And, and I, I mean, I, Jesus, at, at some point, we've got to make up some kind of fake Terrence McKenna interview because I think we've got enough bits <laughs> That we could that we could ask Dennis, questions. We can do that. I mean, we can get permission. And, and yeah, and then we could like take and insert what he would say to these answers. Because I mean, there's another thing that 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 he's talked about uh, at, at length in a you know a whole weekend of uh, of energy. I think this was a five part thing on the psychedelic salon. Um, and, and and again, if you haven't checked out the psychedelic salon, do yourself a favor. Lorenzo's got. Fantastic speakers every week. Go check out that podcast. But uh, McKenna made a point of saying that there was all of this out there that he had tapped into the very thing that you talk about, this, this state, this, this place, and this, this potential to transform into something else. And he said, so I was giving this lecture, and I said this in, 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 in my lecture, and somebody in the audience stood up and says, well, then why don't you just take more and do it? <laughs> and he said, that's a, that's a really great question. And he says, and he says here's my answer. Because, and, and essentially his answer was, because I'm very comfortable where I am. <laughs> because I, this is what I know, and I don't know that. Uh, I think, I think it's, it's what I took away from it was he was saying, you know, I, I, I am in this and I have to, I have to enact myself in this. Otherwise, why am I going to do this and, and become this thing that I wouldn't be able to relate to 99.9% of the rest of the people? Well, that was kind of his thing. Here's you know? the other answer to that. You can't get there through psychedelics permanently right. any more than you can get there permanently through this second person relationship of a thing, a god or whatever smiling right. upon you. Right. That ain't going right. to cut it. You have to change from within. Psychedelics are a nice shortcut to these other realms, these other frequencies, and these other feelings. But, you know, it's essentially the thing that has to change within you. And it's right. not going to get there through artificial means. Right. Well, I, I think his point was to be shown the door. <laughs> right. You know, he always talks about you, you, you want to be the one to be shown the purple door and walk through it and never be seen again. Uh, you don't want that to be Whitley Strieber or Jacques Vallée or any. You want to be the one to do that. And again, you, you talk about we want to stick a label on it. We want to label it so we can forget it and we can move on to something else and still be that same person. He spoke extensively about that, about how you know, the, the, in his lecture on UFOs, that this is not about your entertainment. This is not for your amusement. 
This is for your transformation. That's what this is about. And there's a guy talking about it before anybody was talking about this kind of stuff. He got it. He, he explored all the edges of this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, so to, to hear somebody like Colin Andrews talk, though, is, is just so brutally honest, so open book. And, and, and what's really neat about it is that he does give you every – you go to his website. These noises, they were recorded. They're there. You can hear these yourself. You can, uh, you can look at the data. You can – I mean, and you get his personal experiences as well. I mean, again, that's a rare bird in all this. So, I mean, again, the, you can't thank I can, I can't thank him enough for coming on the show, and that was completely worth doing you know, this show. The, 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 the wait, yeah, doing this show, yeah. Well, we we had to wait. His schedule is really hectic, and we had to wait a pretty good time to get him on. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> worth it more. It could not have been. <laughs> that was so worth. That that's it. More could not have been. That's right. There's my Yodaism for the night. Uh, that that was so worth it. I can't begin to put it into words. I mean, I can't thank him enough for doing it. And uh, and I like it, like you say, we, we want him back next week. <laughs> but uh, we'll get him back sooner than later. I, you know, we'll definitely try to set something up. I think at this point is where we kind of leave it off to let everybody talk about it on the message boards and hopefully far and wide on the internet. And see where it goes from here. Sounds good. Let me just ask you one little, one more question. Um, and now, I thought that the policeman had video footage of these tall blondes in the field. Yeah, well, I didn't get it. I didn't even think to bring that up. I, I thought there were stills or something out there. I'll have to check uh, with Colin. I'm going to email him uh, tonight or tomorrow, and uh, and just follow up. And we're going to be sending him a copy of the show to put on his website as well. I'll ask him about that, and I'll, I'll definitely post a follow-up okay. for that. Very nice. Well, Jeffrey Ritzman, it's been another fascinating episode. Damned if it hasn't. I thank you for your friendship, and, and I love you. <laughs> and I love you, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> da na 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 